0: As many of you are aware, I graduated from college in 1988 with a finance degree, and that was right after the stock market crash of October of 1987. And graduating with a finance degree was not a great degree to have, and so finding a job was difficult. And it was during that year that a small church in Three Rivers, California, right by Sequoia National Park, reached out to me and asked me if I would like to apply to be their pastoral intern. In the years past, which I didn't fully realize, they had hired interns from San Francisco Theological Seminary who would come down and basically be an assistant pastor. They would preach, they would work with adults, they would run the youth group, they would work on mission trips, and engage in basically the life of the church. And so they reached out to me and asked me if I might be interested. And, and I was interested. I, I needed a job. Um, who knew that that was the way in which God was actually going to begin a call into full-time ministry? But the one thing that really scared me was preaching. I had no concern about working with adults. I had no concern about doing youth group talks. But the one thing that I really did not want to do was preach in front of a group of people. And so I tried to wiggle my way out of it and tried to get out of it. But it was soon very clear that I was not going to get out of it. And I was going to be preaching and having to come up with something to say to God's people that gathered in that church. And it made me really nervous. So much so that my parents, who lived an hour and a half away, I said to them, I don't want you to come and hear my very first sermon. And it's a terrible thing for a son to say to his parents. Uh, For some reason, they actually listened. They did not show up. And I know I was grateful for that. But I guess I was more worried about being embarrassed in front of my parents than a room full of strangers. But then the question became, what should I say? What would I say? What did I have? What word did I have to bring to the people of that local congregation? And so I decided I wanted to preach on Elijah. And I actually still have the manuscript of that sermon written out on a, on yellow legal pad paper and with notes and things scratched off. And I looked back, I went back and found it. And the, the sermon title was start listening and stop running. And I think that that's an appropriate title for a sermon about Elijah, who had been on the run, and God was trying to get his attention. But this morning, we want to return again to the story of Jeremiah, where he begins to wrestle with, what should I say? If God has called me, what do I say to the nation of Judah? And so we're going to turn our attention to Jeremiah chapter 1. Verses 6 through 18, and I would encourage you to listen for these words that God spoke as Jeremiah had a conversation with God. Jeremiah, after being called, we read this, verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the people of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. So remembering back from last week when we took a look at the first five verses of Jeremiah chapter one, we remember that God said three things to Jeremiah, you are known, You are set apart and you are appointed. And this was the calling and the commissioning that God gave to Jeremiah. So how does Jeremiah respond to that? You're known, check. You're called, check. You're set apart, check. All of that. And Jeremiah says, no thanks. I don't know what to say. I don't know what words I would use. And God, of course, has not brought Jeremiah to this moment in order for him to start making excuses. But we're all very good at making excuses. God had actually had Jeremiah be raised up under the book of Deuteronomy. We remember that from last week that Josiah found the book of Deuteronomy and Hulda helped to interpret it. And Jeremiah began to hear these words of the promises of God and the covenants of God that God had made with the nation of Israel. And he read those words. And, of course, he's filled with fear. And, of course, he's filled with uncertainty. But God says... I am with you. I will speak for you. I will put my word in your mouth. And the great thing is, is Jeremiah would have read this before, because back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 18, this is what we read. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. As God is speaking to Israel, I'll raise up a prophet for them, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So Moses had already been leading the people of Israel, but as Moses is with the people of Israel, and they know he's not going to be going into the promised land with them. He says, there's another one coming. And God speaks of that. And he says, I will raise up a prophet who is like you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth. And this is what happens for Jeremiah. This is actually what happens for us as well as God calls to us and God calls us out. God calls us out of a life of being comfortable, a life of, 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 of maybe just being a little too laid back about our faith. And he calls us into something new and something wonderful. And he says, let's not make excuses This past week I was reading Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And and it's always great when you're doing your devotional and there's something that that jumps out at you in what you're reading. And, And this is what he said. He said, if you yourself do not cut the lines that tie you to the dock, God will have to use a storm to sever them and to send you out to sea. Put everything in your life afloat upon God, going out to the sea on the great swelling tide of his purpose, and your eyes will be opened. And then he said this, If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all your time in the calm waters, just inside the harbor, full of joy, but always tied to the dock. And that's what got me this last line. If you believe in Jesus, you're not to spend all your time in the calm waters, just inside the harbor, full of joy, but always tied to the dock. And I think sometimes in our faith, that's where we find ourselves. We're we're at this place of comfort. We're at this place of joy. Our lives are tied to the dock. We're in the safe waters and God is calling us out. And that's what happens with Jeremiah. God says, no, I have formed you. I've made you. I've shaped you. I've created you before you were born. I knew you. He does all of this because he's calling Jeremiah out to something great and out to something wonderful. And Jeremiah has nothing to fear because God is with him. But one of the struggles we also have with this sort of calling that God puts on our lives is it's not just, it's not just kind of fear and anxiety about it. It's our own inadequacies. It's our own inabilities. And what was great is I continue to read Oswald Chambers. This is what he wrote as he ended his devotional. He said, beware of paying attention or going back to what you once were when God wants you to be something that you never have been. Quit going back to who you once were. Quit going back to what you know is comfortable and safe. Because what you don't realize, Oswald Chambers is saying, is that God wants you to be something you have never been. Forget about your inexperience. Forget about your inadequacies. I think a lot of us say when we think about serving or going and speaking or somehow honoring Jesus in our lives, we say we have to be equipped. We have to be discipled. We have to know all the right answers before we can go and do something like that. And if that's the case, then where's the point of faith? I think God does his best work when we put ourselves and we find ourselves in positions where we are inadequate, where we are inexperienced, where we actually don't know the right answers. We don't know what it is that we should actually say. And God says, that's, that's where I want you to go. That's what I want you to be about. You remember from Shawshank redemption, there's this great line, Andy Dufresne's talking to red. They're in prison. And he says to red, it comes down to a simple choice, get busy living or get busy dying. And what he was saying is, we've got to move on. We have to move out. And I hope for us, when it comes to our faith and to speaking of the things of Jesus, we're willing to take some risks, knowing that God is with us. Because God says, I'm putting my word in your mouth. And for Jeremiah, this was a terrifying experience. But he continued to be faithful to God. What's fascinating As we skip all the way to Jeremiah chapter 37, uh, Jeremiah has been prophesying the people around him are not happy with the words that he has been saying, so much so that he's thrown in prison. And then the king, King Zedekiah, calls for Jeremiah to ask him about his future, to ask him about what's going to be happening in the Babylonians and all this sort of stuff. And this is what we read in Jeremiah 37, verse 17. Then king Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the palace remember he's been he's in he's in prison so he's brought to the palace where he asked him privately is there any word from the lord yes jeremiah replied you will be delivered into the hands of the king of babylon now if you're jeremiah that's the last thing that you want to be saying because you're looking at the king of judah and saying you know what's going to happen to you you're going to lose your life you're going to be given over to the king of babylon He's going to rule over you. He's going to reign your life. And how much easier it would have been for Jeremiah to have simply said nothing or simply to have changed the story. But instead he spoke the truth. Inexperienced as he was, inadequate as he probably felt, he said to Zedekiah, this is the truth. So don't let your inexperience, don't let your perceived inadequacies keep you from speaking of the love of Jesus from showing others what the love of Christ is all about. So as we continue to read through this text, God then says to Jeremiah twice, asking the same question, what do you see? Jeremiah, what do you see? The first thing that Jeremiah sees is an almond branch. Now, one thing that's important to know is the area where Jeremiah was from Anathoth as a great growing capital of almonds. And God gives him this vision to remind him of something important because the almond is the first tree to bloom in spring. And what Jeremiah is seeing and what he's remembering is that there's something new coming. There's hope on the horizon. Spring is in the air that in the midst of the words that he's going to have to prophesy that are words of difficulty and words of rebuke, there's still hope. The bloom is on the branch and for Jeremiah, that's a powerful image for the rest of his life, because it's saying to him that God is with him, that God's going to be the one that brings hope, and that Jeremiah can cling to that. But Jeremiah also sees something else, and he sees trouble and darkness coming from the north. And that's happened in the past, the Assyrians, the Aramaeans, the Philistines, and now it's going to be the Babylonians. And he sees troubled times, so much so that the kings of Babylon, we are told, are going to park their thrones at the city gates of Jerusalem. Forget the elders, forget those who offer any wisdom. Jerusalem is going to be overthrown. We see that in verse 15. Jeremiah, what do you see? But today I want to ask you, what do you see? Not Jeremiah, but what do you see? And not so much regarding the first vision, but the second vision. The first vision is the hopeful vision. It's what Jeremiah has to be rooted and grounded in because he knows God is calling him to speak in difficult times. But the question I want you to think about is what do you see that's troubling to you? As you look around your life, your family, your workplace, your community, your world. What do you see that is troubling to you? And then the follow up question to that and what are you going to do about that? What are you going to say about that? How are you going to speak into that? Because that's ultimately what happens with Jeremiah. He has to speak the word that God has placed in his mouth to the community that is around him. Where is God trying to get your attention? Is your life simply at a dock, experiencing the joy of Jesus, as Oswald Chambers talks about, in the calm waters? Are you fearful of moving out? Where is it, perhaps, that God is calling you to speak? Now, the great thing that happens in all of this is that God is for us. God does not abandon us. God does not leave us. God does not forsake us. If we look back in Jeremiah at verse 18, we see this wonderful phrasing that God gives to him. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Earlier in verse 17, God says, get yourself ready, stand up and say to them what I have commanded you to say. Fear not, stand firm. Watch and see what God will do. And I think for us, this idea of standing firm, that as we look at the world, we look at the society, we look at our own community, and wherever we see trouble, how can we stand firm in that? What word of hope and encouragement can we bring? Because that almond branch that Jeremiah saw, that almond branch is a branch of hope, saying that God is with us. Going back to the book of Exodus and reading as the people of Israel began to make their way out of Egypt and towards the promised land, you recall they came up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians were chasing after them and the Red Sea seemed impossible to cross. And yet Moses knew that God was with them, and he speaks these great words in response to their complaining and their grumbling. This is verse 13 of Exodus 14. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Fear not. Stand firm. Watch and see what God will do. That's the words that God basically is speaking to Jeremiah. It's the words that he spoke to Isaiah. It's the words that he spoke to Moses. And if you think about someone who was on that journey with Moses, and you asked them a few years later to tell part of the story, they would say, you know what? I was saved by the blood of a lamb that I put over my house, that I put in my doorframe. I was led out by a person who said, we have a better place to go. And he led us toward the promised land. I have a God who said that he would be with us. So much so that we built a tabernacle so that whenever we stopped and we rested, there was a place to worship. There was a place to remember that God was with us. And there was a promise that we were going home, that we were going to the promised land. That's what an Israelite would have told you. But I think a follower of Jesus says much the same thing. I have been saved by the blood of the lamb. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. I have been liberated from my own slavery, from my own bondage, from the stuff that has held me back. And I'm on a journey. And the God that I serve has promised to be with me. He's tabernacled with me. Jesus has revealed God to us, and He has sent His Holy Spirit so that I know that I'm not alone as I make my way back home. This is the power of the gospel. This is why we do not have anything to fear, but it is also why we have to stand and we have to speak. That's what God says to Jeremiah. I've blessed you with the book of Deuteronomy. I've taught you the things you need to know. Now you're ready to go. You've been appointed. You've been set apart. You are known. You have nothing to fear. Don't worry about your inadequacies or your inexperience. I am going with you. So what do you see? And what do you need to say? So back to my very first sermon. I got done, put my yellow pad down, gave the benediction, walked down the center aisle of the church, and did what we used to do, which was shake hands and say, God bless you, and, and offer a couple of hugs. I have no idea what that sermon was like. But there's one thing I do remember. The pastor's mother, the pastor I served with, his mom, attended our church as well. And she said this to me. She said, I think I'd like to hear you preach again. I really enjoyed that. I think I'd like to hear you again. And when we think about how we speak for God, how we show forth the love of God, we cannot give our faith to anybody else. We can't say, hey, you've got to have this. But we, what we can do is we can speak and act in such a way that hopefully they will look at our lives and they will say, I'd like to hear some more about that. I'd like to hear from you again about who this Jesus is. And so, my friends, we all have something to say. Let's take a look around us and see where it is that God might be calling us to speak and calling us to act. Pray with me, please. God, for this day, we say thank you. We are living in difficult times. And yet, Lord, we have the one true hope. We have Jesus, and we're so grateful for that. So, God, would you continue to stir in us the places that need to be stirred up? Lord, help us not to play it safe. It's very easy in our faith to play it safe. But continue to challenge us and convict us that we might live the lives that you would have us live. Lord, help us to not be fearful, but help us to speak your truth in love. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.